0: Uh, the reading is taken from uh, Psalm uh, 120, A Song of Ascents, and it can be found on in the Pew Bible on page 440. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you, with with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. When Catherine and I first moved to Hong Kong, it was just uh, over three years ago now, and um, there was quite a lot to get used to here. We arrived in June, so there was the suffocating heat that we weren't used to as we're experiencing now, uh, the humidity. It was the first time in our lives that we ever woke up to find our windows uh, running with water from the outside as the condensation gathered on them in the night. There were days spent filling in forms and standing in lines in various government offices and and bank uh, offices, trying to get all our paperwork sorted out. It was exactly one week after we arrived that the uh, million-person-plus protest kicked off in, in uh, Hong Kong in that June of 2019. It was all strange and new to us at that time. But one of the strongest impressions that I have from those first few months, really, was the surprising discovery that many people who live in Hong Kong don't actually seem to live in Hong Kong. What I mean is, although they might be physically located in Hong Kong, for the majority of the year, their minds and their hearts are actually located elsewhere. I wonder if you've ever noticed that, or if you've ever sensed that. They are dislocated people. You, of course, see that in lots of expats, but also, maybe more surprisingly, you see it in some locals as well, some Hong Kongers. Rather than living in Hong Kong, some of us have uh, imported our our preferred cultures with us and we've sort of built a little cocoon around ourselves. And so we read the same newspapers that we read in our our home countries or our preferred cultures and and we allow our thoughts and our emotions to be affected and, and guided by what's happening thousands of miles away, much more than what's actually happening here. Uh, We go to buy groceries, uh, the same groceries, and buy the same products at the shops around, whether that's at the American store or Marks & Spencer's, which I have seen a lot of you at, um, or at the the Pinoy hub in town. Um, We get the things that we like. And we spend an extraordinary amount of time on, on video calls, on Facebook, on WhatsApp, trying to maintain relationships with people that are Thousands of miles away, much more than the people that we actually live among, and some people go to the extreme of even uh, living on alternate time zones as they they work with the companies around the world and uh, they sleep while families and uh, their families and, and their their neighbors are up and about going about their normal day. Now that kind of social and emotional dislocation, it's not particularly unique to Hong Kong, but I do think it's particularly strong in Hong Kong. And and what it all adds up to is that a lot of people in our city, some of whom have been here for many years, they never feel at home. It's like they're camping out. It's like they're passing through. But they're always homesick for another place. They're waiting until they can go back. And Psalm 120 is a song for homesick people. It's a song for people who are dislocated, people who are restless in in the place where they're dwelling. And it says to us that if that is how we're feeling, then it's time to go. It is actually time to go. But not to go back, to go up. If you see the superscription in uh, Psalm 120 on page 440 of your pew Bibles, uh, you read it there in small print. It says it's a song of ascents. A song of ascents. So Psalm 120 through 134 are a collection of songs called the Songs of Ascents, and they're written in a wide variety of styles across a wide uh, number uh, or a wide period of time by uh, many different authors, but they were all sung by God's people as they journeyed on their annual festivals uh, to gather in Jerusalem. That would be Passover, that would be the Feast of Weeks, that would be the Feast of Tabernacles, if you know those things. And knowing that context, it helps us to make sense of why they're called the Songs of ascent, of going up, because wherever you are coming from in the world, as you approach Jerusalem, you're going up because it's it's a city on a hill geographically. You have to go up in elevation to get there from the surrounding lower regions. It's also the spiritually highest place in the world, as the temple of the creator God is there, the place where he is chosen uh, as a dwelling for his name. And so God's people can go up to meet with God in his temple and worship him there. And these songs became part of that annual pilgrimage, that journey. They were sung as they made their way up from the the scattered cities of the world to the city of God in Jerusalem, the city of peace. That's uh, kind of what Jerusalem means as a name, up to the temple, up to God himself. And that journey gives this collection of 15 songs um, their shape. They are they kind of start in scattered isolation, which is where we are in Psalm 120, and uh, they kind of build to a crescendo of praise as they go along. And they are songs for a pilgrim people joining, journeying together toward their spiritual home. Therefore, these songs are also songs for Christian people. Because Christian people are people who the Bible calls Aliens and exiles in the world. We could also call them strangers and refugees in the world or foreigners and pilgrims in the world. That's what we're called in 1 Peter 1, as the Apostle Peter writes his letter to the churches. Christians are those who live by the same pilgrim faith as the the fathers of the faith, the patriarchs, according to Hebrews 11. And when we come to faith in Jesus, our lives, our individual lives, our collective life becomes a journey from where we are to God himself as our destination. And if we're going to persevere through that journey into that heavenly city built by God's own hands, then we will need some help along the way from God. And these songs are some of what he has given us to help us on our way. And so the the first point I want you to see in in verses 1 to 4 are that God's people should be homesick. We should be homesick. The first one in the collection, Psalm 120, starts at the beginning of the pilgrimage, or actually maybe the day before the pilgrimage begins, before the person sets off on their journey. It seems to be a song sung by an isolated individual dwelling in a distant land among strangers and enemies. You get a sense of that isolation from all the the, uh, first-person pronouns in it. I, uh, me, my, that's what the the singer is saying throughout. And in contrast to his isolation, uh, the hostile forces around him are always in the plural. So you have the, the lying lips, the deceitful tongues, those who hate peace. They are for war. So right from the start, it's isolation and hostility. But this is a song of hope, actually. Verse 1 says: I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answered me, answers me. Even before the singer. Um, lays out his prayer to God. He's confident that the Lord will answer his prayer. In in fact, the verbs of verse 1 are past tense verbs, and so they'd be better translated as, I called in the past on the Lord in my distress, and he answered me in the past my prayers. And so therefore he's praying confident that the Lord is going to answer his prayers because the Lord has answered his prayers already in the past. God has answered his prayers. He knows he will answer and hear his prayers now. And so he begins to pray in verse 2, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. The psalmist is distressed because he's surrounded by dishonesty. It isn't just one person, but many people, perhaps even the whole of society where truthfulness has disappeared. Our era is sometimes called the post-truth era, but it's not just our era. We're not the first people who've had to deal with fake news. According to the Bible, lies and deceit, they go back almost the whole way to the beginning, just in the Garden of Eden, as the snake whispered. Did God really say to eve. And from that point forward Satan, who is the father of lies according to Jesus, has waged a war against God's people and against God himself with lies and deception. And in various places in scripture, lying lips are, and, and deceitful tongues, they're spoken of as dangerous weapons in Satan's arsenal. The wisdom literature and the prophets of the Bible, they often speak of lies and deception being like piercing arrows and like sharp swords and and like burning coals and deadly traps. These are weapons of warfare. And as one example, James 3 speaks of the tongue being like a spark that can set a whole forest ablaze. Lies told about us can penetrate the deepest part of us. Even the thickest skinned among us uh, can be eaten away from the inside by a lie. Regardless of how baseless the rumors are, people begin to think when they they hear the, the lies spread, well, where there's smoke, there must be fire. And no evidence, no truth, but it begins to destroy. Deception can destroy lives. Ruin families, lay entire societies to waste. And so when we read the psalmist's prayer to God to save, we find him praying that that God would send a punishment that fits that crime. Verse 3, what will he do to you? And what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows and with burning coals of the broom bush. Verse 3 is a sort of typical oath formula. May this happen and more besides, more on top of it. It was used when people would, would swear oaths in court or when they would make promises to one another. And the psalmist is declaring on oath that God will not just choose a random punishment from his lucky dip bag of judgments. No, he will bring the judgment that fits the crime for lies and deception. He will pierce liars with their own sharp arrows. He will burn them with their own coals. In the end, both individuals and societies that embrace lies and practice deception, they will be destroyed by those same things. And isn't that what we see? People that live by deception, being destroyed by deception. The husband who lies to his wife about working late but is really off with someone else, well, he thinks he's getting away with something. But fast forward a few months or a few years, the marriage has died, the family's been broken apart, the deception has burned a whole generation or more of people. Or the the executive who encourages a certain amount of dishonesty for the sake of profit in in the business, well, they're soon resented by the whole team. And they are blackmailed by their peers. Uh, Or the society that embraces and enforces lies about sex and gender, soon enough it finds this, this growing number of its children, its own children, confused about who they are irreversibly damaged by what they are pursuing. The governments that manipulate their citizens through spin and propaganda are soon enough unable to address legitimate dangers to society because of the rampant conspiracy theories that have taken hold. We will all recognize areas of deception that, taken hold in our own workplaces, in our own families maybe, among the people we know, and maybe even in our own lives. And verse 4 is what must happen, and more besides, to those who follow the father of lies. But the Lord's people... The Lord's people are rooted in the Lord's truth. When we see the lies that contradict what he has said about himself, the world, and us, we we cannot go along with them. We must stand against deception, because we know that the end of deception is destruction. And when we sinfully deceive others, and we realize it, We we must repent and tell the truth because Satan wants nothing more than to trap us in our own lies and tell us that actually the truth will destroy you if it gets out, so you need to keep hiding. But you know, that is a lie from the pit of hell, literally, because Jesus says that those who keep my teachings, those who follow me, know the truth, and the truth sets them free. So who are we going to believe? father of lies or Jesus. The truth will set us free. It will not destroy us. And God's people have always been and must always be a people of truth. And so if you're a Christian, don't you long to be saved from the lies and deceits of this world? Don't you want to dwell in a place where you and where your households and your your loved ones are free from piercing arrows and, and burning coals? I think we all do. We all want that. And if we do, that is the homesickness that people, that Christians need to feel for another place because we haven't found that freedom of truth here. And I tell you, we haven't found it back where we're from either. And this song encourages us to go. Be homesick and go, but but where do we go? And that's what verses uh, 5 to 7 tell us. They tell us that God's people cannot find home in this world. They will not find home in this world. That's the point that the psalmist makes in verse 5. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. You know, according to commentators, uh, Meshech is uh, far to the north of Israel, and Kedar is Far to the south of Israel, outside the borders, well beyond uh, where God's people would normally be dwelling. And and so it wouldn't really make sense for any one individual to say, I dwell up here and I dwell down here. He can't dwell in both. Therefore, it seems that these territories are used as a, a kind of metaphor for being in distant places that know nothing of God, places where lies run rampant, where the word of God is ignored. Geography is not the point. Spiritual distance from God is the point. And the singer says, woe is me because I am with the spiritually distant. And because this is a song about spiritual distance, not geographical distance uh, from God's truth, God's people, even God's people living in Israel can sing it. As they look around and they see people rejecting what God has told them. Even people living within Jerusalem could sing it, as they look around and see people failing to keep God's law. The Bible tells us that God's people often lived in rebellion, and we know that's the case today. Even in the church, we're not free in the church all too often from the arrows from the coals. Even here, we're not completely safe. And so we can join in with this song of lament. Woe is me. Woe are we. (laughs) And so if lies are certain to be destructive in the long term, we might think that we must stand up and we must tell the truth in our own families, in our own schools, in our own businesses, in our own city. And that is a good thing to do, but notice that doesn't solve the psalmist's problem. Standing for truth in the midst of lies, it often leads to hostility, and that's what this song reports. Verses 6 and 7, too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Lies are destructive, but they're often violently defended. And even when speaking truth in love and seeking peace, God's people uh, will find themselves under attack. Therefore, the song presents us with a dilemma. We're living among a people headed for disaster. But when we speak up, if we're not afraid to do that, which some of us might be, but even if we do speak up, we make ourselves targets. And so what should we do? And the answer comes as the the collection of psalms continues on. Psalm 121 through 134. Ascend toward Jerusalem, the city of peace. Ascend toward the temple, the dwelling place of God. Ascend toward God himself. And that's the last point I want to... Uh, you to take away from this psalm. God's people must set out as pilgrims. That is to say that we Christians must accept how widespread the problem is and how very deep down it goes. This is not a problem just with Hong Kong. This is uh, not a problem that we can move to another country to escape. Because where would we go? Lies and deceptions are are part of every society because they're a human problem. And their destructive impact will be felt in every society, every family, in every human heart. And if we're honest, we too often are the ones shooting the arrows, lighting the fires, causing the destruction. This homesick feeling, this discomfort with the world and our concern for our loved ones is actually a good thing. It's a good thing if it pushes us out the door and gets us going on the journey we need to go on toward God. At the beginning, I I talked about how uh, many people in our city are dislocated. They live elsewhere in their minds and their hearts even though they, they dwell here, but a few years on, having lived here for a while, I've begun to realize that not everybody is like that. Some people that are from very far away have uh, really committed their lives here, and invest in relationships here, and build community here, plan for futures here. And, and what, one of the, the commonalities that I, I think makes people like that act like that is very often uh, they are coming from failed states. I wonder if you've noticed that. They look back to wherever they're from and they see violence, they see corruption, they see chaos and they think there's nothing for me there. So I'm going to build a life here. And so they do. They fully invest themselves here. This is their city of peace for many people and I think that the Bible in general and Psalm 120 in particular wants us to see that all of us, wherever we're from, we are from failed states. We cannot go back and find the peace that we want, the truth that we long for. So Wherever we're from, whatever our background, it tells us, to stop building our little compounds within a a crumbling city on this earth and start orienting our lives, directing our lives, giving everything in our lives over to pursuing the city built by God's own hands, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, the place where we will dwell with him, And as we join together in praise uh, with others who are doing exactly the same thing, we together will be saved by the God of truth, brought in to the city of peace where we will dwell in safety and in joy. And that's why we're so intent on gathering others in. Come to the city of peace with us. Let's go toward God. So, if you feel restless, if you feel homesick, recognize that that is God's mercy to you. That is a good thing for you. Because it tells you that this is not your home. And nowhere else on earth is your home. We are from failed states. We must look to the heavenly city. Fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, who has led the way through death into resurrection into eternal life, and give everything over to following him. It's our only hope. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, you have made us uncomfortable in a world that is headed for judgment, and you've made us uncomfortable so that we will flee to you. Lord, that might look different for each one here this morning. That might mean putting aside worldly things and worldly concerns, uh, lies and deceptions that we've believed, and taking hold of your truth, building our lives on your word. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would convict each one of us of where we need to do that and help us to, to leave behind the crumbling cities, to go towards your city. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.